Welcome to When I Was a Girl, where we honor the stories of survivors. On this episode, we focus on the story of a woman whose childhood was riddled with challenges, including rejection, verbal abuse, and destitution. Marred by her fatherless upbringing and other traumatic experiences involving the opposite sex, Chrissive Bancroft Smith developed what she describes a hate for men. Now married and on the path of restoration, listen to learn how she derived hope when she had reached her lowest point and how God's intervention produced a total life transformation. And we have Chrissive Bancroft Smith with us. Chrissive, welcome. Thank you so much for being here with us and being willing to share your journey with us. Tell me a little bit about what your life was like growing up. What was your upbringing like? Hi, Stephanie. Thank you for having me on. It's great to be here and great to be sharing in this forum. I'm just so honored to be doing this and hoping mm-hmm. that my whatever I share here will affect somebody else's life and for that I thank you for this opportunity. What was life like growing up? I grew up in very humble circumstances, like very humble circumstances. So I grew up in rural Jamaica in Clarendon. We were, we didn't have much. I tried to avoid the word poor because I don't like what it does to my mind. Mm-hmm. Okay. Experience and such. You know, I use other things to communicate what things were like exactly, but to avoid that negative memory. So we didn't have much. I was raised in a single parent household and I was the the last of a couple of children. Uh, I'll just put it this way that I came way behind. (laughs) And was it your mother who was their single parent or your father? My mother. Okay. Not very educated. I mean, in that she didn't get a lot of formal education. Okay. She was expelled from school when she was in, at the all age stage, she was expelled from school. Wow. They tried to get her involved into vocational learning, which she was not interested in. And so life was just really, really unstructured for her. Mm. From then, she had a lot of dashed dreams and hopes that just died under embers. The embers just died under ashes or something. So she started having children very early. Okay. And by, yeah, and by the time I came along... I don't know that she was anticipating me because I came along 12 years behind my youngest sibling. Wow. Right. So in a lot of ways, I felt like an only child in a very low income community. Mm-hmm. I was a little different than most others who were around me because of my complexion. Most people in my community were dark skinned. Everybody else in my family was dark skinned. I was the only light skinned one. And so there was that, this little brown girl. And then I didn't speak much for whatever reason. I think now that I'm looking back, in retrospect, I believe some of it was trauma. I was just afraid. Mm. Was there, um, what, what was the source of, of you experiencing trauma at that at that stage of your life? I had just mm-hmm. been left alone a lot. Oh, I think, and not having, not having siblings to interact with. I eventually had my niece in later years, but by then I had kind of formed who I was. And so I became very, very introverted. That may be a natural part of me because my father was quiet, but I literally did not speak to people to the degree that when I was in primary school, when I was being sent to primary school, I was sent to the, to the class that had the least mentally functioning children because I just did not interact. But I, would, I was able to translate on paper that I was really not stupid. So the teachers were a little confused. And so I come to the conclusion that it might have been trauma 
I don't know if there's anything else that might have added to that. Uh, with my mother's limited understanding and education, she never necessarily did parenting the best way. And so I had to deal with a lot of criticisms, mm. you know, uh, when she didn't, when things didn't work how she wanted it to, there'll be a lot of shouting, a lot of quarreling, a lot of criticism. You're too this, you're too that, you're too. Mm-hmm. Um, I found myself just being really on motivated in my environment and very sad you know when I looked around I was like oh this is awful we didn't have anything we had a broken down house I couldn't do what other children were doing I was told too often not to go outside not to play with anybody not to go to anybody's house even though there were neighbors all around I was not allowed to go next door I had a lot of rules a whole lot of rules and a part of it was because my mother feared embarrassment she feared failing with my life so that somebody would have something to say I can see how circumstances like those could could affect a child and um, affect issues like self-esteem and... Uh, oh, um, yes. Yeah. And oh, so, yes. so as you got older, how, how, how did life change for you? I mean, it took a while to change. Mm. I mean, it's, it's only God. Sometimes I look back and I'm like, how did I do this? It had to be just God. I was involved in church from an early age and I kind of cultured myself on books. I always loved to read and for some reason I I was attracted to, to classical writing, English classical. So I read a lot of mature stuff. Mm. And I would blaze through those things because that that was my escape from my reality. I read to escape what I was living and what I was experiencing because it was really harsh. It was really loud. It was really aggressive. It was really miserable. And on top of that, you lacked. So not having a meal was a a, a regular reality. And I didn't want to deal with that because there were my neighbors to compare myself to. They got new clothes when it came to Christmas. They got new uniform. They were guaranteed new uniform and new shoes if the term was beginning in beginning a new year of school or something they were guaranteed a new bag and it was not so for me albeit the condition men were in I was just not guaranteed one mm. and um, my mother at a point just did not have the resources to provide and mm. nobody else did my father wasn't really in my life and nobody else did so it was just terrible. So I sought my escape through reading and that worked for me. I could find myself in a whole new world in mm-hmm. a book and I'd be content to just lay down on my little spot of bed, packed up with other things and just my sleeping spot for my little body. Mm-hmm. And I would get lost in a book. And that's how I survived. But what that did was give me a very mature perspective on life because my mind was exposed to to different things that come out in in creative writing, you know, the creative reflects life. And so I would pull on those realities and I always was very analytical. So I guess that caused me to mentally grow up a little faster. So I was given responsibilities and in church, I was very responsible. My mother sent me to church when I was five years old. Albeit she didn't go, but I was forced to go. And so I was involved in church, very active, leading this, leading that. And between church and reading, I was kept. But I didn't escape all that my upbringing um, exposed me to or made me vulnerable to. Okay. So you asked, how did that change in my older years? Well, I, I guess looking at transitioning from those years of, of living in this community in Clarendon, um, you then moved to Kingston at some point. Um, how did that happen? How did that transition happen? It happened because I applied to go to the University of the West Indies. Okay. I was patterning. I had no guidance, really. I wasn't out of control. I was very, I was a very quiet child, but I really had no guidance. My mother did not know what 
to tell me to do. She knew how to tell me to maintain a good hygiene because she eventually got trained to work with the health department. And so she knew how to tell me to maintain a good hygiene, keep my environment clean. But as for pursuing my dreams and an education, she just knew how to say, you know, get an education. But she didn't know how to direct me because she really just didn't know how. And what teachers in your life at that time? Were were there any other... um figures in your life that that you were able to get that kind of insight from because i wasn't very interactive i didn't let a lot of people in even though there were people who would be looking out for me i had a female minister who would generally pray for me often and pray with me Mm -hmm. i remember she had given me a verse when i was experiencing mass frustration at about eight in. She gave me the verse Jeremiah twenty nine eleven, and I have held on to that for I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, mm-hmm. plans to give you hope and a future. I've held on to that verse for dear life, and I, I've 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 spoken it back to the Lord and said, God, mm-hmm. I didn't go looking for a verse. You gave me this verse, so mm-hmm. honor your word, and I've seen him honor his word and so I've patterned what I saw my friends whose parents knew what they were doing in high school so I'd listen and this person was applying to go to university and this is how they did it and the sessions would happen at school where universities came and speak and I would figure my way out and so I applied to go to university but with no resource I had to sit out a year okay okay right and that I was working yes I was accepted but I couldn't pick up the acceptance because I had no money to pay and I didn't know how to go in. So I sat out that year and worked temporarily. But it was um, actually during that time, I tell you, lack, lack is not a bad thing if we know how to be conscious of the situation we're in, mm-hmm. especially parents who don't have much to offer their children. If they can be conscious and channel a child's mind to understand that, yes, we do not have a lot, right. but don't let that be a factor that make you a victim or makes you a victim because there are adults who do target children who they know are in great lack or mm-hmm. experiencing great lack because yeah. that's just what they do. Yeah, and I find, you know, um, I'm, I'm able to strike some similarities in other stories that I've heard of, of persons who especially come to Kingston, so they're not from Kingston, but just, you know, coming into this unknown, environment that's very busy and and active um, and different from the environment that they would have been coming from and probably Mm -hmm. more more advanced in some ways as well. Um, That can be so intimidating and that alone can cause for a young person to, to feel vulnerable, you know, and, and to be vulnerable as well, you know, just in terms of um, them being a target for persons who who have predatorial um, tendencies. And you're so right. You are so right. Because even as it was true for me before I went to university, mm-hmm. one grown man realizing that I had potential, there's, there's this little that black woman and she has this little girl and apparently this little young girl is bright. Always see me going about with my books and I mind my business and I go from church to home. And so he targeted me and he would strike up conversations and, you know, from conversations, he actually said to me one day, you're pretty intelligent. And I said, yes, thank you. And he would keep on having these conversations until he started offering stuff. Okay. And it would not be just random stuff. Like he would, he would be, be very strategic in what he was offering. So, you know, we'd talk and I'd complain about not having energy. And then he would say, you know, there are these supplements that I take and are really good for that. And yes, you should, you should try it, man. And like how you want to go to university, prime the brain. And so you'll have the energy. And so you offer me the things and that I thought I need and made me feel that I needed this and he could help me and lured me into a position where I became a victim and I was almost raped by this person. Very grown man. Mm-hmm. Very, very grown. That's one of the ways they work. When I came to Kingston now, I felt really 
I was at university, I was on campus, I was fine. But when I left campus, found a job and started living in Kingston, I felt really disconnected. Like I needed somebody who I could connect to, who understood the environment and so forth and so on. Being an introvert, I wasn't actively seeking that. But there was somebody in my office Mm -hmm. where I got a job and he clearly saw my vulnerability Mm. and um, started getting close, just like this other gentleman. Get close, get close, Mm. offer me a ride home, take me home, it's not a problem. And so we became work friends. We'd go for lunch, he would drop me home, he'd be like, yeah man, I'll go past your house, so why not? It's not a big, big deal. I found out afterwards that he didn't even need to go that way. Like literally, mm. he his house was in the opposite direction of yeah. where I lived. Oh but, my goodness. Was it that was significantly older than you? Um this other one at the work a couple years, but okay. not as much older as that other gentleman from from my home community. Okay. Okay. So I would be going home with this person, being dropped, blah, 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 this, that, that. And then next thing I knew, I was off the usual the usual route that I knew to get home one, one evening. So I thought to myself, this place is not familiar. Mm. But I didn't know where I was going. I had no idea. I didn't, I had no clue where I was. So I said to him, where are we? And him said, um, you know, no way there. And like he chuckled. So I said, no. And why are we not heading to my house? Yeah, man, we're head to the house, but we just take a different route was what he said to me. So I said, okay. It got to a point now where I recognized based on being on campus where I was, which is nowhere near to where I lived. So, so you noticed one landmark, which was, which was the campus. Near to campus. Near to campus. Mm-hmm. And it was nowhere near where I live. I lived in the opposite direction, all the way across Boulevard, here and inside. And so I was like, why are we here? This is not near to where I live. Right. And he goes, oh, I just need to pick up something at my house. I get the, We get there and I'm sitting in the car and he comes out and he's like, this is a volatile area so you can decide if you want to take the risk and sit out here or you just come inside. I just want to pick up something real quick. Naive as I am, I said, okay, let me not sit out here in this car. So I went inside with this friend because this was a friend. Right. And uh, what a mistake I made. It's boy began to change, got comfortable. And I'm like, what are you picking up? When are we going to leave? Sorry, and I just want to clarify. When you say he, he began to change, you mean he was changing his clothes? Yeah, yeah. Right, he okay. He changed his clothes and he got real comfortable. <laughs> and got out of his work clothes, put on whatever he would wear at home. And he was just there. And then he wanted me to sit. I'm like, I'm not sitting. You said you were picking up something, so let's go. Uh, at which point, things just started to seem really fishy. And then he started to get close and touchy-feely. And mm. I'm like, what the hell is going on? What is going on? Yeah. Anyway, I started to push him away. And I'm like, get off me. Take me home. What ensued is something that I have erased a lot of the details of from my mind. because I just generally don't want to remember. I was in a counseling session recently Mm -hmm. and I did my Mm -hmm. best to bring up the details and things were a little blurred blurred and and, and I don't remember the story very well because I really have just tried so hard to put it out of my mind. But Mm -hmm. um, what really happened was that he forced itself on me, which included tearing up my clothes, tearing through my stockings, Um, I was fighting. I ended up scratching this person and he got angry saying, you know, I caused his blood to, to, to leak. And if I let it happen again, he was going to leak out all of mine. And I said, 
my God. In my head, I said, my God, trying not to show any sign of terror. And then I remembered him telling me a strange story about some girl who he got into a fight with. And because she continued to fight, he beat her almost to unconsciousness with a stone. He told you that story right then and there in in that scene? No, he had told me the story before because remember we used to move a lot together at work and he was telling me some story about an altercation with a woman and she kept fighting as if she could overpower him and because she was fighting, he beat her and beat her and when she stopped fighting, he just lost the drive to hit her anymore. Mm -hmm. And that story just came back to me very suddenly and I was like, you know what? Stop fighting. Stop fighting. And when so he I told you that story, did did that um at that time did it did it strike any fear in you? Um how did you feel it, when he shared that story it, with you that time, that previous day? Did how I well, I had no personal concerns for myself mm-hmm. I remember saying to him are you sure you're not psycho I remember saying that to him and he laughed and he's like what are you talking about if somebody's opposing you and somebody's whatever what would you do would you not try to defend yourself and whatever and I think the lady was the policewoman he said and I don't remember what he said caused the altercation or whatever but I just remember he made it him, look like he was defending himself defending himself Mm-hmm. Right. So that just came back to me and I said, just don't fight. I had read enough books and I was like, all right, if this is what drives this person, stop. Mm-hmm. So I stopped fighting mm-hmm. and I literally realized he no longer wanted to force me, but it all, it already had gone too far. Yes. Yes. So I was already violated but at least my life wasn't under threat anymore. And even while I was there not trying to fight, he tried to violate me further by trying to make me clean him up with mammals. And I'm like, God, this is not going to happen over. This is where I will die. So I think it was just wisdom that said, just position yourself where you're just unavailable. Don't fight, just don't be available. So I was lying face down and I just lay there face down in the mattress. I did not move. I was just limp. And then he lost He lost that drive and just left me alone. Needless to say, I was there and he wouldn't let me out of his house. Mm. So I was like, Jesus, what am I going to do? What's going to happen? He wouldn't let me out of his house. And to be honest, I can't remember how I got out. I think he eventually fell asleep and I found the keys to let me out of his room. And I asked the landlord to call me a taxi. I believe that's what happened. I don't know for sure. Because as I said, I've tried so hard to put this out of my memory. Yes, yes. And I just wanted to... To point out, um, firstly, so sorry that that you experienced that. I mean, even if it was many years ago, it's just, it's still, it's still traumatizing um, to have to even recall it. And we really appreciate you, you know, bringing bringing it to to memory um, as you share it with us. Um, I think also just for our listeners, it's it's common among persons who have gone through trauma. Um, that a way of coping is, is, you know, just the, by whatever means erasing it from, from your memory, you know, it's, it's, it's definitely one way, um, as far as I know that persons are, um, that it's, it's something that persons tend to do when they've gone through anything traumatic like that. Yeah. Yeah. I certainly I certainly tried to suppress that or just erase it completely. Mm. Um, You asked what that did to me as a younger woman. (laughs) You would have been about how old when this happened? At that time, I was 20, 23, somewhere between 20 and 23. Mm. Mm Mm-hmm. 
um, the other incident was much younger in my teenage years. And combined, I just began to have a, how do I explain this even? Um, I had a vendetta against men. Mm. I literally hated them. And it started to, the venom that I felt towards these men started to even spread to my father who had by then passed away. Because wow. I felt like, what's the use of a man really? This man just had a child, never felt the need to be a part of that child's life didn't feel the need at any point to contribute to this child's welfare in any kind of way to give her any kind of security or protection or love or anything. And then as I go through life, it seemed to me that's what I found meant to be mm. with my experiences. And I'm like, what's the point? So at a point I developed a vendetta and I was like, you know what? They seem to be attracted to me, men that is. So this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to make some of them feel what I felt. And still mm-hmm. so on a mission to make some men feel what I felt. I'd I'd literally just entertain a chase until I was sick of it and I was like, I'm over this, I'm done. Wow. And you you were consciously doing that. Like you knew I was conscious. And- I was consciously doing that, like especially ones that I saw that thought themselves players and right. I'd entertain the chase, I'd entertain the chase right down to the wire. And then I'd be like, I'm done. I'd probably just go dark, disappear, pretend I've lost the interest I've had or, or just say I, I'm moving on. I'm done. I'm not into this anymore. I even use church. I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm going back to my walk. I'm going back to my strict walk. Mm-hmm. So forget mm-hmm. it, move on with your life. And I developed that mindset because of Revenge. the hurt I was carrying. Mm. Yes. So Chrissy, we were just talking about um, the ways in which that traumatic experience had affected you. Well, like, I should say, the, the two that you mentioned, the effect that it had on you in terms of being very cold and hard towards men and feeling very angry um, and almost vengeful in terms of men who would be interested in pursuing you. You would allow them to chase you, as you said, but then right up until the very end, you would just walk away from them. You would turn away. You would end the relationship kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah, literally. You said almost vengeful, but that's not almost. I was outrightly vengeful. Okay. I mm-hmm. I had a mandate to just deal deal the nastiest I could, and as nasty as I perceived them is as nasty as I dealt with them. Wow. Um, and that's how I was operating until I got to a point where. I said but this makes no sense really it makes no sense for me because even though I have been hurt in trying to live out a life that vindicates those scars Mm. I was also or at the same time inadvertently adding other scars to myself, not just these men, but also to myself, and but in a different kind of way. Because now I had the burden of guilt. Mm. It didn't matter to me. I didn't care. I was just doing whatever. But then it got to a point where you came across somebody and you're like, this person doesn't deserve that. But then I'm like, well... I still don't care, but this person doesn't deserve that. What did they even do to me? I think at some point it became almost second nature to yeah. just not care. I I just didn't care. It was all for my pleasure. And when I was done, I was done. That's what that experience did for me until I found myself in a relationship, a real relationship that wasn't God-ordained. 
And how, how did you end up deciding to really commit in that relationship, um, whereas you weren't doing that before? What was it that made you change your mind about this one? You know, it, it's weird. I think it was more than anything else, just expectation and something that just happened upon you by chance. Okay. So, you know, you're going around and you're doing this thing to these men and then somebody says that, that guy likes you, why not date this guy? And I'm like, but why? I remember pointedly that this friend of mine, who was also one of the ones who had just, you know, tagged along. But he, I wouldn't say he didn't care. He just, he just, how should I say? He just realized that the stakes weren't in his favor. Okay. And I accepted that. And we had a friendship for a number of years and, I remember him pointing out two young men to me that he thought would be fitting for me to date and I should choose one. Mm-hmm. Chose one. Um, I wasn't choosing this person for a long term, but we ended up in a long term relationship. And I knew based on how the relationship progressed and everything that ensued, it was not God ordained. And I ended up in a very dark place where I had no choice but to look to God in a real way. As in a dark, very dark place. Very dark. I was very depressed. I felt like the worst person. I felt like the ugliest woman. I felt like I couldn't compare to any other woman, that everybody was better than I was, that there was nothing about me to talk about or to look at. Mm. Oh. felt really, really battered and beaten because that's what that person did to me. To to have power over me, they use words to destroy my self-confidence completely. Um, other things, he, he just destroyed those things. Natural abilities that I had, like my, my gift of singing that I always did as a youngster in church. Yeah. I started to second guess that because every attempt to even call a note was ridiculed and I was put down and I was, other people were chosen over me in front of my face. I remember one time we were out somewhere and a friend of his, a longtime friend of his was there. She's a female, a female friend that he had for years. And she was there, we were talking, we were hanging out. And this relative of his that he didn't know, he invited and the, the fella came along and he introduced her as his girlfriend and not me. And everybody was like, what? Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, sometimes were, people do these things and they, they, they treat it as a joke, but then why, why make a joke like that? It was deliberate. Yeah. Trust me. It was yeah. deliberate because every effort was to tell me I wasn't beautiful. I was told that the elite didn't wear their hair natural. I was criticized because I gained weight. I was criticized because my boobs were big. I was told that I had liver lips. Um, It's a bunch of stuff. And so I started to kind of self-hate. And I'm like, God, how did I get here? Depression was real. How long did you say that relationship lasted for? A good six years. Six prime years of my life. Six years. Now, looking back, do you think there is any link to what you experienced in terms of um, the ways that you, you, you had been hurt in the years prior to that and, and your choice to stay with in, in a relationship like that for, for that length of time? Do you think that there, there is any link between those two? Surely. I said I hadn't gone in looking for a relationship, but initially when I started going out with this person I thought I felt wanted I felt like there would somebody there was somebody who would actually love me and cherish me and do nice things for me because that was happening that was really happening he would yeah. go out of his way he would buy me gifts he would take me places he would be nice to me you know that sort of thing but it went downhill and it went there very fast I couldn't have male friends um, places that I go, I was very active in like Kiwanis and when I would go out with my, on my meetings, I would be questioned. 
my handbag would be searched. What? Yes, he forced himself to move in with me when I asked him to help me move stuff because I had to be at work. I was moving places where I live and I Mm -hmm. had to be at So I asked him just to stay to move my stuff or ensure that the truck picked up all my stuff to move to the new location. Lo and behold, when I got home the evening, all of his stuff was there, were there too. And I'm like, what the, what's happening here? But what was happening is that I was, I felt very vulnerable and very exposed where I was living. So he said, find somewhere else to live. And when I did find somewhere suitable, it was little, a little above what I could afford. And he said to me, you know, I will help you, but you need to move. You need to move because right here is not good for you. It's not safe. You don't feel safe. So I will help you just move. And I guess he justified moving in himself because he was that's helping right. because he was that's what i was going to say so right. he offered to help but then the part he didn't mention was him moving himself in as well right so when i did have the gall or the boldness to say to him like two weeks later well how come you're moved in that was not my intention he goes well how too late and i'm like okay right So there was that. I think the need for acceptance, the need to be cherished, the need to feel loved, the need to feel like somebody's providing for you and somebody won't violate you actually thrust me into a situation where I did not calculate that the person that I could be looking for all that security from could potentially be another of those I'm trying to avoid. It's a tangled, very complicated situation when first a young girl is faced with those things. You, your mind becomes warped in different ways and warped in the real sense. Like if you, if you should imagine like the tar on the road and when the sun hits it and you don't know which way that white line is going very well your decisions are not clear because there's so many things affecting how you process fear there is hurt there is hate there is a, a desire to belong there is that desire to want to get rid of what's going on in your head there is that thought does anybody love me do the people i come in contact with are they pretending do they actually like me who are these people there's a lot to deal with you you don't know you're trying to do the best for yourself but at the same time you're trying to do the best to protect yourself and somewhere in there you end up being left wide open just the same not to mention just physical needs as well that that compound all of those of their issues. I mean, and bills just, to pay, yes. needing a roof over your head, food to yes. eat. Um, yes, and we all we all have those those needs, you know, whether yes. or not we are um, in healthy circumstances. Those those needs are are you know across the board. Mm-hmm. They're yeah. real, and it gets complicated because you're already mentally compromised and emotionally compromised and then you have this very ready very physical thing before you so any means of dealing with that becomes attractive and Mm. so the need to assess or your level of assessment is highly questioned or questionable when you have all of these things battling with yeah. And my, you know, my earlier years, closer to the experiences. But to be honest, as you get older, you get wiser. And if you allow yourself due process, then, uh, and this can only happen by God, by the help of God, really. Because I've, there have been counselors and there, and then there have been counselors. Mm-hmm. Was that the the turning point in your life? Is it that that God intervened in a way where 
you you, it, you were able yes. to receive counseling what was what was that turning point like for you so i eventually got out of the, that relationship um because i knew i had to make a decision just based on um principles okay. i realized this person on top of everything else had begun to cheat on me and so that's one that's one point in relationships or that's one point in relationships that is my breaking point or my deal breaker for any type of relationship whether I was walking the walk or not and so when that happened I was like no I really don't have to deal with all of this and I left and that was really hard for me because I had a lot of adjustments to make and in that time I realized how broken and how deep in a very dark place I was. Um, I don't remember for sure what happened, but a colleague invited me to the church that I currently go. I was always a member of another church, and I was invited to the church I currently go because I'm sure I was manifesting my broken spirit Mm. and just Mm. how sad and depressed. I was I'm sure and um, this colleague invited me and I've gone to that church and which is my current church now and through this church I've experienced a lot of healing there are people who have identified um, how sad I was I was in that session just sitting down in a public session one night and I remember one of my pastors sitting in front of me and he just randomly turned around to me and said, are you happy? I didn't even know this man. I just Mm -hmm. knew the pastor of the church because as I told you, I was new in coming there. And he just turned around in the session out of the blue, disconnected from any discussion and said to me, are you happy? I was taken aback, like I wasn't ready. So I was just like, And he said, you need to come and see me. He just turned back around. And there began my process of healing. I went through many, many. I've gone through many counseling sessions, many counseling sessions in different places. And even though I still see the need, years later, I am married. I believe I could have been married before, but I was not at a place where I could receive a partner in a healthy kind of way. Um, I remember when I was doing a Bible study that is, um, it is necessary if you want to become a member of my current church that you had to go through these two levels of Bible study. And okay. uh, the lady who was conducting the Bible study at a point, I forgot the point of discussion, but she said to me, I am imploring you speak to someone because I fear that you may be pushing men away from you because you seem to have developed, and you, but you don't recognize it, a deep dislike for men. And you manifest it, but you don't know. And I laughed. I literally laughed because, you know, church auntie saying something to you like, you're being ridiculous. Stop. I laughed. Yeah. And when I went home, I said, she was serious. Yeah. I said to myself, well, could it be real? Could I really hate men? I really did hate men. I may still have some resentment, if I am to be honest. Because mm. if I should use my marriage as a mirror, there are times when I get angry. I get angry. And I'm like, receive seriously, what makes you so angry? What makes you so angry? What makes you so very angry at him? This is the person you said to love and to cherish. What? Why are you so angry? I have to check myself and pray and go into praise and worship. I'm like, God, I am angry. There's a part of me that is just still full of hate. I hate it. I hate it. When you've gone through some things, there are scars that reach deep into your soul and those are not easy to get rid of they're not easy to get rid of when it begins with a father and you keep reaching out to 
older men who you think would have the decency and the respect, you know, to look after a young girl like a daughter, but instead they try to take sexual advantage. That is disgusting. And so there's this cleansing that is necessary for Mm -hmm. the soul completely heal. And it doesn't happen overnight. And when I say overnight, this could mean years. Yes. That's a sad part about it. As a mature woman, I can recognize my emotions. I am able to recognize that I am experiencing this thing. And I know, I kind of know where to tag it. I know what to tag it to. But still, getting over it and getting that out of my system completely has clearly been a difficult thing because I'm still not completely over all those hurts. It's a journey. And and what I hear you saying is that um, the way your healing has manifested is, is where you choose. You've been actively choosing to address how you feel, to acknowledge how you feel, to bring it before God. And especially in the example you, you quoted in your marriage, um, where you, you know, things are not perfect and you aren't perfect. And just to acknowledge mm-hmm. that is, is, is powerful. It's growth, you know, and the fact that you, you choose every day to continue to operate in love. I think that, that that's a mark of, of true healing and true growth. Indeed. Couldn't do it on my own. Has to be God. Has I to be God. Yes. Yes. Glory to God. Indeed. Glory to God. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, I feel like you have really touched on all the areas. I mean, you've shared in detail, and we appreciate it, um, you know, traumatic events that have happened in your life. And then you've also, you've, you've expressed how those events affected you at the time that it happened and even, you know, even in, in the years that ensued right after um, and the fact that it would have affected even decisions that you made, you know, um, but then you've come out of those situations and, and there's been these clear signs of growth. And again, we thank God for these people that he put in your life, you know, as you said, as you said, you had received so much counseling and I'm reminded of the scripture in Proverbs that says that, you know, there's safety where there are many counselors. Uh, Yeah. It says um, in the multitude of counselors, there is safety and, and boy, truer words couldn't be said, you know, in this context, because we can't do it on our own. And, and sometimes we do need that, that church auntie or um, some, anybody else that, that loves us and is looking out for us. We, we might need to hear something like that from them, you know, that you're, you're, you're not healthy. You're not operating in a healthy way and, and you need to pay attention to it. Yes, so mm-hmm. true. It's necessary because a lot of the times we don't see, we can't see. You can't look at yourself unless you're looking in a mirror, really. So you really are able to truly look at yourself. But somebody else can look at you and see what you're manifesting. And it's Mm -hmm. important that when we see, we speak to it because we have a responsibility to do that. Absolutely, to to uproot and to yeah bring it before god you know and and the beauty is that when we go through these things it's not wasted because sometimes the experiences that we have gone through those are what help us to be able to identify it in other people as well yes you know and we we can choose to either condemn someone because we're seeing those same attitudes or we can choose to point it out in a loving way and help them and help the person grow past it. Exactly. Exactly. And I do think that you sharing with us today and, and I mean, just, just opening up in this way is one way of doing just that. So I just want to thank you again. And um, certainly to anybody listening, we, we want to encourage you to also reach out and uh, as Chrissy's story shows us that it's not easy 
and many of us don't either we don't have the personality or or our own trauma forces us into silence sometimes but i just want to use this medium just to underscore that there is help available and um you know even persons like receive and i we we participate with various outreach activities where we avail ourselves to hearing um to hearing and to to helping anybody who may be in a need like this as we close Christine do you want to just kind of talk about how you have you know what kind of ways you've you've availed yourself in terms of outreach oh right um just want to say thank you for having me too Stephanie uh this was an honor you don't get to do this on a daily basis and you know when you've experienced a certain thing you want that when you speak you're speaking into the right ears otherwise yeah. your your story which should be an instrument of growth mm-hmm. become a, a, a rather a weapon against you if let loose in the wrong forums i'm thanking you for this opportunity because it's an honorable one i am currently involved with Pursued International outside of my church. That is my main ministry where we focus on trafficking of persons and particularly young women who are at risk of being trafficked. And I got involved with this movement, this foundation, because it is so close to home. It is so it's so relevant to my experiences and I do believe I can help somebody to identify their vulnerabilities and if they've been exploited like I have because they were the perfect candidates for want of a better way to put it. Really, mm-hmm. I hope that having gone through and overcome, I can help another young woman to overcome if they've been the victim of such an unfortunate experience. And if you have listeners who want to reach out, that they think I might be the person who can help you to walk through a process to overcome somebody you think you can talk to because maybe you can trust this person, I thank the Holy Spirit that he would choose me. Just reach out to Stephanie. She will do the assessment and I'm willing I'm very willing. Thank you for that, Christine. And yes, as you said, if there's anyone that would like to reach out, they, they know that they can contact us through Girls First. Um, and, and the information for how they can reach us is going to be coming up shortly. The When I Was a Girl podcast is a space where the life stories of survivors are shared clearly, truthfully, and with a focus on restoration and hope. For anyone who has experienced abuse, we encourage you to reach out to us here at Girls First International. You can find us at wearegirlsfirst.com or find us on Instagram at girlsfirstja and on Facebook at girlsfirst.